Well, good day, ladies and gentlemen. So glad that you are along. Howdy, Kieran. Good afternoon, Rob. Ron Van Eek. Ike? How do you say that? Makes his return. Welcome back. Good to have you with us. Howdy, Dale. So we are talking about uh, our, my home fellowship, the one that I am part of. Uh, we're taking this week to review some of the uh, the principles that we talked about in the formal or the official church series I did some time ago. And uh, I'm responding to some of your questions. So uh, that's what we're doing. Uh, hey, Mike. And uh, Ron says, Ike. Okay, Van Ike, very good. Rob says, sorry, good. I don't know what that means. Um, so as I interact with more questions and not only from, from you all, but you can imagine I've been doing this not quite two years, and I was a pastor in the traditional model church for 25 years. You can imagine some of the questions I have gotten from people close to me, friends, family members, uh, friend pastors and elders of other churches. Um, and here's what I have realized, and, and not only have I realized this, but as people who've been now coming and part of our fellowship for some of them almost two years since we started, others joined uh, along the way, as they tell others about it, they seem to get two reactions. One is interest. Can I come? <laughs> and, and they come. Others, and this may be from people nearby or people they talk to, you know, their family, uh, for instance, as they describe what's going on. The other response is one of caution, warnings, questions that are maybe more than questions, if you know what I mean. And as I've been pondering that and trying to figure out what's behind this, what, why is this, uh, why does this provoke the, the caution? Here's what I've concluded. And tell me if you think this makes sense. Now, if you haven't done this, then you're not really in a position to talk. I, I wasn't in a position to speak to home fellowship, home church, when I was in the traditional model. I did talk about it, and now I realize I was mistaken and made some assumptions because you just can't understand what's going on if you're not in it. And here's, here's what I think is the issue. Almost everybody compares what they think we are doing to the traditional model instead of comparing what we are doing to the New Testament. Let me, let me say that again. Think this through. Most questions and most warnings that I receive and that our group receives is because they're comparing either what we tell them or what they think we're doing to the traditional model. That's the standard now. This is the way we do church. And there can be some variances, but basically this is the way we do church. And we're comparing what you're telling us you're doing to 
that as opposed to what the New Testament teaches about the church. And that's helpful, at least for me, to get that in my head so that I don't feel put on the defensive. And I tell that to our people uh, so that I can, I have, I have a clear understanding of where to lead them. Let's, let's look at the scripture and not compare to the traditional model. Dale says, Doug, are you a Pope or does your cult have a different name for it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, and, uh, I have uh, tackled that question uh, head on with our group. I, uh, I, I make jokes all the time about us being a cult and it's sort of caught on. We all do that just so that when people do accuse us of being a cult, our people are kind of comfortable with the language. Like, you know, we can laugh it off and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, Kieran says they'll say it's descriptive, not prescriptive. Yeah, and I know that's a question you asked uh, that is going to, I'm going to kind of answer that all the way along. Do you guys, do you know that argument? Do you all know the, the distinction that uh, is often made as we read the New Testament, for instance, between uh, descriptive passages and prescriptive? Uh, descriptive would be, here's what happened. The author, like in the book of Acts, is simply describing what is there, what happened, what occurred. And then the didactic passages, the epistles often uh, are, are prescriptive, meaning the Lord is prescribing for us, or the apostles are prescribing for us what we should and shouldn't do. Now, I actually think that is a helpful distinction because I, I believe that is true. I believe we read the book of Acts and it is more descriptive than prescriptive. So I agree with that. My question is, where do we go in the New Testament for the church planting model that is prescriptive about how we are to start a church and what is to take place in the church. Take me to the passage where it says, when you get to this number of people, or you have been in existence for this amount of time, you are to ordain elders, for instance. There isn't one. We have descriptions of elders being ordained. And we have prescriptions that elders are ordained, should be ordained at least in certain cities, right? Which, uh, don't hear me, I'm not, don't misunderstand me. I believe elders are, the, uh, are to lead the church. But we are not given any specifics on when and how. The examples we have, for instance, for elders, is Paul telling Timothy and Titus, Titus for them to appoint elders. Am I right? I left you in Crete to set an order and, and appoint elders. How do you, is that how you do it in your church? Does someone appoint elders in your church or do you vote on elders? Is there any prescriptive passage in the New Testament where elders are voted on by the church? I'm serious. Is it there? Show me. 
Because I've missed it. I don't see that. So the prescriptive descriptive, though helpful, though accurate, I would say, what so many people call descriptive, I'm sorry, prescriptive, is embedded with tons of assumptions. And if you pushing, if you push back on that, they won't have anywhere to go. I mean, somebody show me, uh, show me, let me catch up on a couple of your comments here. Uh, Warren says, our issue is we are 55 miles away from our fellowship. And I see your point to do with fellowshipping with believers. Having a man able to lead is a major part too. Mike says, not cult, but schism perhaps. Um, I don't, I wouldn't call us a schism. Uh, Rob says, yes, the book of Acts is a clear example. Dale says, I think descriptive is a fair take, but you can't then say something that is never described is prescriptive. Uh, right. Ken says, thanks for your reply to a comment yesterday. I never thought about there not being a prayer leader in gathering before. Yeah, prayer leader is not in the New Testament. That's, if you saw a comment dialogue, I had a brief one with somebody uh, who took issue with my saying women can pray in the gathering. And I asked what a prayer leader is. And, and uh, I believe he was saying that it's it's like a pastoral function. It, you know, if a man should lead his wife and that kind of thing. And I, again, I just don't see that anywhere. In fact, interestingly, uh, the thing that is specifically said of women that they can do in the group if their head is covered is pray. And uh, this gentleman was suggesting that praying is violating uh, male headship or so I'm putting words in his mouth. So I don't, uh, I don't mean to be that way. Dale says, thus say it's the book of church order. Yes. Um, uh, thanks Warren. He says, I'm a capable elder to lead this. I uh, care says rules for thee, but not for me. Yeah. Uh, cast lots. Yeah. For elders. Rob says, what I've noticed in the New Testament is there's a silence in the issue of elders being there from the start or group uh, of fellowship. Uh, Dale says, elders have to get appointed somehow, but ideally there would be general acceptance of them, formal or otherwise. Wisdom is hard, but worth it. And, and so that's making my point. The point is we do not have a prescription on any of this. And again, what people are comparing what I'm doing to is their practice, not the scripture. How did the church start? If you think about the book of Acts, uh, Paul and others go into a territory and they preach the gospel and people believe the gospel. And then Paul goes on to another city later on. And he comes back through and he checks on them. He writes letters to them. And down the road, he says to Timothy and Titus, appoint elders. Remember, one of the qualifications that Paul gives to Timothy is, as you're appointing these elders, None of them can be new converts. So obviously there were no elders chosen from the people who came to Christ that week. Paul didn't go in and preach the gospel. and These guys believed. He said, okay, you guys are elders. No, that's not how it worked. Uh, they needed to grow some. They needed to, needed to, to be solidified in the gospel and in the and teaching of Christ and that kind of thing, right? So it was, a, it, was a, it was a process. It was more organic than that. But as it grew, then, and as there became more mature Christians, 
then Paul said, appoint elders uh, from those men who meet these qualifications. Even that maturity is relative. If you do the math, the first elders couldn't have been Christians more than a few years. Most of your churches have men who've been Christians for 15, 20, 30 years to choose from for eldership. And the question is, would you choose someone who's been a Christian just for two or three years when you've got someone there that's been a Christian for 30 years? None of this is laid out for us. None of this is prescribed in the scripture. Now, what we are doing does not match up well when you compare it to the way most of church, the way churches act and, and operate today. But I would dare say what we are doing matches up far better to what the New Testament describes the church to be. For instance, this is what the this is this is sort of the foundational passages that we have used. And yes, it's descriptive, but it's describing what the very first Christians did. And I'm good with it. And they were continuing steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles. We are doing that. We are, I teach from the New Testament. And when I teach the Old Testament, I teach it as interpreted through the New Testament. So, the, and that's what the apostles did, right? So we're, we're teaching and we are continuing steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship. Everything we do is centered around our common Devotion to Jesus, that's what fellowship is getting at, having this in common. The breaking of bread, we have meals together all the time. Now, some of you may think this breaking of bread is communion, and that may be, I don't think so. I think this is just eating together. Now, is this, prescri is this uh, prescriptive? No, but it's what the early church did. And prayers. And I will tell you, we pray more as a group than the formal traditional model church uh, ever did that I was part of. And fear came upon every soul, uh, wonders and signs being done through the apostles. We have not had those kinds of things, but it is, in other words, we, we haven't had the miracles uh, like the apostles were doing. And, and that may be because of what God was doing through the apostles at the time. But I will say the precise and amazing answers to prayer that we have seen uh, is far beyond anything I ever saw in the traditional model. They were selling the possessions and goods and parting, uh, were parting them to all according as anyone had need. We've certainly seen this. Whenever there's been a financial need that anybody brought up, even for friends, our people have rallied around immediately and provided abundantly the care and concern there's no we don't have a benevolent fund we don't have a deacon's fund where you just give and some you know church officers take care of this and again i'm not i'm not saying there's anything wrong with that i'm just saying our people they are so so committed to each other that when there's a need shared you, you, you just people are uh, knocking each other out of the way to meet it that sounds <laughs> that's not quite true but you you get the you get the point right also daily there were uh, with one accord in the temple and breaking bread at every house now we don't meet in every house but we meet in various houses 
And they were partaking of food and gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding those being saved every day to the assembly. Uh, and we pray for that and we hope that's the case. So you see the origins here. It's very much community living life together. That's what's being described here. It's not a meeting that happens on Sunday morning. It's not a meeting place. The church is not a building. There's no service. There's no worship service. There's no programs. Even in chapter 6, where they have to deal with the widows, there's not a program. They choose some men to make sure this, that these needs are met. And if you could send your drone to follow us around what we do when we gather together and, and what we do when we are not together, but thinking about uh, participating, being, being part of this fellowship, it's much closer to this than any institutional corporate church I've ever been a part of. I'm... I am not throwing stones at the traditional model. I would love to see it go away. But my purpose is not to say, I'm better than you, we're better than you all. That's not the purpose. The purpose is to say, I'm trying to do what the scripture tells us to do. And I think the dangers inherent in the institution institutional church and the, the corporation of the church precluded. And, and as we talked about in the original series, if you haven't watched it, go back and, and look at those videos. The, the amount of money that goes into building and staffing, and as soon as you have hired elders and non-hired elders in, in our day, in the present circumstance, that creates a, a distinction that I don't see as biblical, and you've got the clergy leg saying a distinction, and you got just all these, um, all the, it, it's a corporation. I was a CEO of the church. Uh, it's just, it's just how it, how it works. Um, Warren says, New Covenant Theology is very important, uh, indeed, very Christ-centered. Uh, didn't the first Christians go to the temple and synagogues? Uh, well, when you say, didn't they go, they certainly, they, they met in the temple, but that makes sense, right? That's, we're not told what they were doing in the temple. Uh, I think it's just as likely that they were there preaching the gospel as, as to say that they were having a, some kind of a formal worship service. Uh, and I'm not sure anywhere in the New Testament where it says Christians gathered in the synagogue, they went there to Paul went there to try to win them to Christ, but I don't see any evidence in the New Testament that they were meeting in the synagogues. Um, so where we are as far as like elders, we're not there yet. We're, we're a church plant. And we've got young, very young Christians who are part of our group. And uh, we've got a few of us that are older Christians and we are just walking through uh, you know, Christ and the gospel and, and making sure that those who are part of what we're doing really understand 
what the gospel is, what the Lord has called us to. And so we're young and, and uh, I'm the leader, I'm the teacher. We meet in my home. I'm not an elder. I don't call myself that. I don't let anybody else call me that. Um, nobody calls me pastor. And we haven't had a need for um, you know, any authoritative approach to anything. Uh, we have enough, we have, we have several folks uh, that are um, really solid in their understanding that I would I wouldn't even be have to be the first person to approach someone who was uh, in error, and that's a that's a great thing it seems to me. But I really see us like we're you know we're a, we're a very young church plant, um, and how we move toward uh, elders someday. I pray about that. I'm still seeking the Lord on that. Probably right now I'm thinking when we outgrow my home, uh, someone asked, uh, uh, you know, how, how many people do we have? Uh, we're, we had a couple weeks ago, we had 35 or so, and uh, we've got some more coming soon. And then some, some that are moving overseas uh, to do missions work. So um, we've had some families move away. We had people come and then decide this is not, just not their thing. But so, you know, 35, we're getting pretty, uh, pretty crowded in here. If, uh, if that continues to be the number, and if it grows a little bit mo- too much more than that, then we'll probably start thinking about, uh, meeting in, in two homes. And probably at that point, we will think more carefully about eldership. But right now I just, I don't see the need for it. And it, it, you just, you know, have to take my word for it. There's a, a sweet, organic love for one another here. There's no power trips. There's no, um, there is mutual encouragement, mutual rebuke and correction. Um, it's one of the downsides of adding formal, formal eldership is now you do create this distinction. And again, I, I believe eldership is biblical. Don't, don't misunderstand me. We will we'll get there. I believe we need to get there. I believe the Bible uh, would tell us that. But one thing I don't love about that is that it automatically creates a distinction. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that the elders shepherd the flock without becoming like the traditional model system. Again, we're going to compare what we're doing to what we see in the scripture, not to what traditional churches do, because that's not the paradigm. That's not the standard. Thousands of years, or at least over a thousand years of church structure and formality is not our standard. What does the scripture say? And it's much more about character and leading people in godliness, setting example in godliness than it is any kind of a top-down authority. In fact, what does Peter say to elders? Do not exercise that authority like lording it over them. And it certainly doesn't say, and make sure the pastors and elders are the ones who lead the service. There's no such thing as a uh, 
worship service in the new covenant. Uh, Ken says, would the Gentiles be able to go to the temple? They could go to the Gentile courts. They could go a certain, they can come this far, no farther kind of thing. Dale says, I know someone who calls you Prophet Doug, occasionally false Prophet Doug, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Talk about Ed, uh, Edgar. Uh, Rob, do you think it would be hard if it came to meeting in multiple homes? Yeah, definitely. Um, the there are all kinds of difficulties that would bring. We have such a sweet fellowship and people are truly committed to one another that meeting in multiple homes, um, there's going to be, it's going to be harder to maintain that kind of uh, friendship and, uh, and just knowledge of one another. So uh, we've talked about different ways to mitigate that. Um, you know, maybe... I've got a rich uncle who will give me a huge inheritance and we'll just buy a huge house. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, I don't, I don't want to grow. I don't, I want to, I don't want to find a building. I'm not interested in finding a building a home or otherwise it can house everybody when we get to that level. So we've talked about different ways of trying to maintain as much of the fellowship as we have recognizing, uh, you know, change, you, there's always a cost to change and growth. There's always a cost to growth. And that's, that's good. Uh, we just, it, none of us are eager to see something change. In fact, uh, someone said that to me not too long ago. I kind of wish we would just stay exactly where we are. I kind of wish we don't, wouldn't grow anymore and could just stay like this. And, and I resonate with that, but if more people come, we will deal with that. Uh, Brady says, morning, Doug, this is interesting to me as a Protestant on his way to joining the Eastern Orthodox. Oh, don't do that. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Uh, uh, don't do that. You are on the path to giving up, um, what I would say is the biblical view of atonement. Don't do that. How do you put members of your group out of the group and if uh, any hidden reefs, if you have no eldership? Well, I mean, when they're meeting my home, right, I can just say you're not welcome to come to my home. I mean, that, that element of it is pretty easy. I'm allowed to bring anybody in my house I want to and say to you, you're not allowed to come in my house. I, I, you know, that, that's the easier part. We're not a public, we're not a organization. This is my friends coming to meet in my house. Uh, there's no obligation for me to let anybody in my house. Um, Warren says, teaching would definitely be one of the issues. Uh, which issue? Martha says, the temple got destroyed. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, Ron says, the structure or lack of it sounds encouraging to me for sure. It is, it is so wonderful. It is so wonderful. I'll tell you, as a pastor, um, I did not realize the unnecessary weight that I was carrying that every pastor carries. And I thought I was doing a good job of not carrying it because I was not overly concerned with some of the formal things. And now I realize you just, you cannot help it. And uh, it, yeah, it, it is wonderful. Uh, 
<laughs> Edgar says, originally I want to call our home fellowship the Church of Doug. Yeah, don't do not do that. Someone, yeah, don't do that. Um, Brady says, but then you've defined fellowship by a location. Uh, well, I'm not sure what you mean by that. There is, we are to gather as the church and you do gather at a location. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure what, uh, what you're getting at there. Oh, warrants. Okay. Teaching. Yeah. So, and, and obviously I want to, and I am raising up teachers, uh, so that it can, um, so that, so that we can multiply for sure. And I want to, like Paul told Timothy, right? Teach other men what I've taught you. That's, that's my goal. That's what I'm after. Um, but you know, there's no time rush on that. Uh, there's no prescription on how quickly that has to, uh, take place. Mike says statement of faith. Um, yeah, there's been no need for anything like that. Uh, to this point, probably we would want to make sure the elders conform together. Uh, it seems like a good tool for unity and we'll probably use the cross to crown statement, but, um, I'm, I'm don't have any desire at this point for individuals who come to conform to any kind of statement of faith. It's, these days, with all the different views, it's probably important for the elders if we're going to uh, have any... Uh, you got to draw the line somewhere. I, I get that. But I, I think that's for, for elders, not for the average person who's part of our fellowship. Uh, Ozzy says, hey, Doug, I second that. Your structure is very encouraging. You're helping me break free from the systematic church. Good. Good. Uh, uh, again, if you, it's just really hard to get what I'm talking about unless you're in one, unless you're in a home fellowship. It's just very, very difficult. And, and that's, you know, that's why I, I don't really want to argue with anybody. And I'm not, I would love to see everybody move this direction for sure. But my goal is not to try to accomplish that by angrily arrogantly destroying, uh, the traditional model. I, I'm happy to, to dialogue and explain why I think this is the way the Lord set it up, but hopefully you hear my heart is not to, I don't want you to walk away from your current church in, in arrogance. If you want to start a home fellowship, first start with your church leaders. See if they'd be willing to talk through this. Uh, it's so hard, though. I mean, if somebody had come to me with this as a, as a pastor, you know, my livelihood and, frankly, my power and influence, my structure, I loved preaching. Well, there's no preaching of sermons in the New Testament. None. Not in the gathered church. That would have been hard for me to give up. And I would have had all the rationale in the world of this is how I teach. Well, it's not how Paul taught. It's not how that we see teaching in the New Testament. Um, it's just really hard. And it, it you've got to have justification for that payment. And these days, having a good service and good programs is typically the way you are justified in receiving payment as a pastor. So, uh, you know, somebody would come to me with this. I would have thought there's some part of some cult too, and <laughs> would probably run them off. And that's you know to my to my shame that I say that. I'm just saying to you, don't be the cause of dissension 
doesn't mean you are stuck. You know, there are those that uh, make a big deal about loyalty to your church. Again, does the scripture require that? What does that even mean? How would you define that biblically? Uh, if you're going to gather with Christians and become closer to what the Lord gave here in the, in the New Testament, I don't, I don't, and you have to go before the Lord and see what your conscience tells you. Uh, but you know, how would you, how would somebody come to you from the scripture and say, uh, it's not okay for you to go be part of this fellowship um, kind of thing. Anyway, all I'm saying is my, my goal is not, I, I would love to disrupt the traditional model and I'd love to see the traditional model come down. But because people see a different way and pursue that, not because I'm trying to get you to take it down. Do you see the difference? I'm not encouraging any of you to leave your church. I'm not encouraging anybody to be divisive in your church. Now, if your leaders are not willing to have conversation about what the scripture teaches on these things, then that says something about them. So I'm not saying sit and be quiet. And I mean, a good shepherd should want, these men are fallible. They should be willing to receive a different perspective and have dialogue about it. And if not, then that, that would be concerning. If they're trying to conserve, preserve their power, their tradition, you know, that's, that's what the Pharisees did. And, uh, and again, I'm not calling your elders, I'm just saying there should be a willingness for conversation. And I would encourage you to pursue that conversation, but I'm not encouraging you to be contentious and divisive. I don't want to be that. I don't, that's, that's not pleasing to the Lord. So do you, can you, can you hold that nuance in your head? The difference between, I would love to see the traditional model, the corporate, the institutional church go away. I'd love to see it implode. And yet, not because you listen to some dude in the internet and you went and just became a pain in their side and, and uh, divisive, contentious. No, no, there's no place for that either. So I hope, I hope you all are hearing me clearly. And please don't attach my name to you going and being contentious. On the other hand, if your church leaders look at any disagreement and plea for discussion as contentious, I would say that the problem is on their end, not yours. So anyway, I should leave it there. Mike says, great answer today. Thank you. Appreciate that. Martha says, when God is not specific in the details, I think there's flexibility in how it operates. Absolutely. I think it was Spurgeon who said, uh, uh, where the scripture is silent, you should be silent. And that's kind of how I want to handle myself. All right. I'm going to leave it there for today. Have a great one. We'll come back and uh, keep talking about this more tomorrow. God bless.